We're going to be looking uh, at Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting at verse 4, going through the end of the chapter. So would you join me and stand as we read this portion of God's Word? You can follow along either in your Bible or on the slides. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as fontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, and then take care lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested him at Massah. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, and his testimonies, and his statutes, which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all the commandment before the Lord our God, as He has commanded us. You may be seated. This morning, uh, the whole service is intended to be a vision service, so to speak. We're trying to communicate with you, uh, everyone here this morning, a vision for our children's ministry, our youth ministry, but also our church as a whole. You know, we, we believe that you as parents, those of you with kids, have a God-given role to influence the spiritual growth and development of your kids. This is what Deuteronomy 6 shows us here. This book, Deuteronomy, is, is kind of like an extended sermon that Moses preached to the Israelites right before they entered into the land God had promised Abraham and his descendants. Now, this land was already populated with people who worshipped false gods. And so uh, God is warning His people, saying, you're about to enter into this environment where you're going to be tempted to worship 
idols, worship false gods, be tempted to turn your back away from me. So Moses is given this warning, and he's given a key, uh, a crucial approach that the Israelites need to take in order to protect God's people from turning their backs on Yahweh. And, And he says it comes down to the relationship parents have with their kids. Moses is saying what is going to be key is for parents to see their responsibility in caring for the spiritual growth of their children. If they don't do that, then all hope is lost. And so we need to hear this warning. We need to to experience the conviction that comes to parents who realize Their role is crucial to the spiritual growth and health of their children. Now, that I'm speaking to the parents, but I also want to speak to those of you who are here today who don't have kids. And I want to say to you, whether you're single or whether uh, you, you are married maybe without kids, you also, if this is your church home, have an integral part to play in the spiritual development of the kids of our church. And so I want to speak to you as well. I don't want you to just kind of roll your eyes and think, well, you know, we're going to be talking to parents. I'm talking to everyone in the room because if this is your church home, this is your church family. And if this is your church family, those kids in the other room have a part to play in your life and you have a part to play in their life. And so I want to look at this passage and and notice three things we're going to talk about regarding the spiritual development of our children. The first is this. What's the goal for parents? The second is the obstacles for parents. And the third is the hope for parents. So those are the three things we're going to cover this morning. So first, the goal for parents. My ultimate goal, your ultimate goal, is not for our kids to excel in school, to excel in sports, to excel in music or some other activity. Our ultimate goal is not for our kids to grow up one day and get married and have kids. Our ultimate goal is not for our kids to go to a great school and and get a great job and take care of us when we get old. And I will say our ultimate goal is not for our kids to grow up and identify as a Christian. Can I say that? And what I mean by that is we are not passing on a cultural identification. Because it's very easy for our kids to associate with Christianity because they, grow, they, they grew up in a church. And it's more of an, a religious association. That's not our goal for our kids to identify as Christians. My ultimate goal is for Carter, my 10-year-old, to love the Lord with all his heart. For Teddy, my 8-year-old, to love the Lord with all his soul. And for Lucy Carroll, my 5-year-old, to love the Lord, her God, with all her might. That's my ultimate goal as a parent. That's my God-given responsibility. 
That's the responsibility Moses is giving the Israelites here in Deuteronomy 6. This comes after Moses has reviewed the Ten Commandments and he gives that summary statement. What all the law points to is that we are called to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, and with all of our might. And Moses says that these words I command you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children. Diligently to your children. That means in a very intentional way, seeking for our kids to love God and to put God first in their lives. Now Moses knew what all the recent scientific studies tell us, that parents are the most important spiritual influence on their children. Now you heard Kaylee talk about how how important it is for our youth and the relationships they develop outside of the home, that how influential those can be. And that is true. Those can be very influential. But over the long run of your kids' lives, over the years of your kids' lives, not just little points in their life where they might be influenced by friends or other people, over the long run, studies show that parents play the most important role in the spiritual development of kids. There was a study done that completed a few years ago by a USC sociologist, Professor Bingston. Uh, It was a 35-year-old study that started in 1970, and they were asking the question, how is religion passed across generations? And I think I have a picture of um, this professor with his grandchildren. And what this study found was that parents are the single greatest influence on their children's faith. You need to hear that. And you need to sit with that for a moment. And on an aside uh, note, grandparents come in a close second. So all you grandparents out there, you need to hear that. You're vital as well. And the major conclusion that came out of this, other than the fact that parents are the most important, crucial influence in their kids' faith, uh, Professor Bingston also noticed that the type of relationship that parents have with their kids is essential. That your children need to feel loved by you. They need to feel nurtured by you. They need to feel a connection with you. And that that is essential in you passing on your faith to your kids. That it's not about just your your religious piety or your behavior. They need to feel that love relationship with you. And they need to know that you, you really care about them and that you're seeking to nurture that faith. Now, I want to be clear that we are not called to force our children to love God. We aren't looking for them to to outwardly, culturally be a Christian, as I've already stated. We aren't striving for them to be religious. We want them to have a deep, thriving, heartfelt, loving relationship with God. And in order to do that, we need to have a loving, nurturing relationship with our kids. And it needs to be a daily experience. Now, I have... I had an, uh, a moment, uh, a conversation, interesting conversation years ago. I was doing premarital counseling with a, a non-Christian couple. And, and they were actually kind of um, a, anti-religious, in fact. And they made a comment. They said, 
you know, because I asked them about uh, faith and spiritual development if they were going to have kids, and they made this statement. They said, you know, we're not going to impose any of our religious beliefs on our kids. And, and I've heard others say that, and that seems to be a growing sentiment among couples today, whether religious or not, you know, this idea that they don't want to impose their religious beliefs on their kids. And, you know, I understand it. They, they don't want to be oppressive and they don't want to force or manipulate. And that's, that's a good motive. But I think it's an ill-conceived concept to think that you're not going to influence or there's any way that you can't influence your kids' spiritual growth and development. Because being neutral spiritually is a perspective on spirituality. And your kids will pick up on that. And you will be imposing a perspective on them that says, you know, it really doesn't matter. You just have to come up with your own perspective. And the reality is, we, we aren't afraid of imposing beliefs on our kids. Think about the, the moral beliefs that you impose on your children. You don't want your children to cheat. You don't want them to lie. You don't want them to quit. You want them to work hard. And you impose that value in them, at least I hope you do. And you impose etiquette values on your kids. You want your kids to say thank you and you're welcome and nice to meet you and to look people in the eye. You impose that on your children because you believe that is a proper and better way for them to interact with the people that they're going to be interacting with on a day-to-day basis. And as a family, I'm assuming you have certain values that you want to impart on your children. For the Mathers, we value education. We want our kids to get a good education and to work hard and learn and be curious and explore and ask questions. That's a, that's a value, a core value Olivia and I have. And that as Mathers, we want our kids to have. We also believe in having family dinner together. And so we are, we are imposing that on our children. We will eat together when, when, when possible. And, and we want our kids to respect others. That is a value we are imposing on them because we believe it will make them better people. And I'm sure you have specific values that you impose on your kids. So there's, you know, that idea, that concept... I would encourage you to maybe think differently about that. If you're concerned about imposing your spiritual beliefs on your children, you cannot help but do it. So why not impose (laughs) a belief in a God who loves them and has come in the person of Jesus Christ and died for them and wants to give them life and be in relationship with them so that they might love him? And, and we see in, in Deuteronomy 6 that God is telling us to do that again on a day-to-day basis. He says in verses 7 and 9, teach, the, teach these diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign of your hand, and you shall, um, they shall be as fontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. that last reference there, maybe you've seen the little ornament. I think I have a picture here in a Jewish home. um, I see it at the JCC, the Jewish Community Center that I go to. Uh, That little ornament on the doorway, that's in reference to this last part on the doorpost of your house. Uh, Within the Jewish community, the practice could be to write on a parchment, actually a passage from this Deuteronomy 6 passage, to write it and to put it on that... um, 
mezuzah is what it's called. And when a, a devout Jewish person walks into the room, they touch that. And maybe even put their fingers to their, to their lips. And what that is, it's a, it's a reminder of this commandment here that Moses is giving. Uh, that their faith should intersect with their daily life. That even as they enter in and out of a room, they're reminded that God is with them. And that all that they do is done before Him. And so in that way, it's a very powerful practice when you think about it. Because the reality is we, we can forget that. But we're called to model this for our children and to do it on a daily basis. And now I hope some of you are really taking that to heart because the reality is as parents, some of you come to church and you bring your kids to church and you, you, you send them off because in the back of your mind, you think it's the church's job to raise uh, your children in, in a spiritual environment for them to grow to know Jesus. And let me tell you, it's not our job. Ultimately, it is not our job. And I'm not shirking my responsibility as a pastor, nor we as a church, but you are abdicating your responsibility if that is your perspective. It is your responsibility as a parent. It is your calling. And we as a church come to partner with you to, to equip you, to support you, to encourage you as you raise your kids to know and love God. You know, it's, it's sad to realize how few of us are doing this. And, and I know there are periods of time, and in, in for Olivia and I, when we do this poorly as well, but there was a study done. Uh, they looked at 11,000 teenagers from over 500 congregations across six denominations, and they found that uh, youth, 12%, had a regular spiritual conversation dialogue with their mother. So one out of the eight kids would have a regular conversation about spiritual things with their mother. And here's what's even more sad, is that it was far lower for dads. It was one out of 20 teenagers would have regular conversations with their dads about God. One in 20. Now couple that with the USC study that I mentioned earlier. Because Bergston discovered, guess who was the most important relationship in a child's life in spiritual development? Their fathers. Their fathers. And that's who they're not talking about spiritual things with. Hear that, dads, granddads. Hear that. Now, I'm not trying to be, uh, you know, I'm not playing gender politics here. I'm just, I'm just pointing to the study and, and, and I'm saying, listen, dads, we play a vital role. Moms do as well. We're partners in it. But dads, we need to hear that. We need to be talking with our kids. We need to be sharing our faith with our kids. We need to be pointing them to Jesus. And you might be saying, I've never done that. I don't know how to do that. And that's okay. At least acknowledge that you're not doing it. That's the first step. Now, some, maybe a, a, two practical uh, ways that you could start today and do it. When you leave church today, uh, from the book Sticky Faith, if, if you're interested in learning more about this topic or exploring this more, 
Um, Sticky Faith has had a, a key influence in how we're structuring our ministry for kids. Um, and, and one of the things they say in the book is that we as parents need to be sharing our own engagement in the church with the kids. So, for example, when you're driving home, uh, some of you probably ask your kids, so what did you learn? Right? What, what did you learn? And hopefully your kids can tell you something. Uh, I, I know I've been impressed by Irene and, and the volunteers and the staff. My kids often can tell me the story, and that's wonderful. You should be doing that. But you know what, in Sticky Faith, what they discovered, what's key is for the parent to share what they learned with their kids. If you're just allowing your kids to share, you're not making as great an impact as if you actually shared with your kid. Well, let me tell you, this is what I learned. And share that with your children. Uh, the second practical application might be at dinner time. Maybe you have a practice of, of talking about your day with your kids or your, your spouse. Uh, what were the highs and the lows? What are the things you interacted with? How about this? How about asking the question, okay, kids, where did God show up today? Now, your kids may not know what that question even means or how to answer it, and this is an uh, opportunity for you to model it for them. You ask the question, if they don't know how to answer it, share how you saw God show up today. Model for them the ways that you are seeing God work in your life, and they can begin to get a vision for seeing God in their day-to-day life. So two simple ways you can begin to talk about your faith with your kids. So that's our goal, is for our kids to love God. Uh, here, are the, here are the obstacles. Here are the obstacles. Now, <clears throat> I want to point you to Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2 uh, takes place in the story uh, of Israel after they've entered into the land and they've kind of established themselves there. We're told in chapter 2, all that generation also was gathered to their fathers and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. You see what they're saying? That generation that Moses preached that sermon to, they didn't do their job. This is, it's hard. I want you guys to see it. It is hard to do this. It is extremely difficult. There are many obstacles in the way of us sharing our faith and seeing our kids grow up to love God. And, and I want to show you in our passage in Deuteronomy 6 that really uh, it comes down to the heart. Notice in verses 13 to 14... God warns his people about the idols that they'll encounter when they enter into the land. He says, you shall uh, not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. You see, God knew that they were entering into this environment where they were going to be confronted with different cultures that were going to tempt them to turn their backs on Yahweh. And is that not the case today for us? Can we not say that we are living in a culture that either hates Jesus or is indifferent to Jesus. And it's more and more evident that this is the case. We have a culture that is encouraging us as parents to view ourselves simply as care providers, that we need to provide for their education and their clothes and their food, provide a safe environment, give them opportunities to to uh, get a good education or do all these various activities. And we've lost a vision 
for our task, our real task, and that's for them to know God and to love God. Ted Tripp puts it this way, that God has called you to a more profound task than being only a care provider. You shepherd your child in God's behalf. God has given you this role. But the problem is you live in a culture that says, no, that is not your role. That is not your responsibility. It's doing everything it can to make it difficult for you. It keeps you busy. It puts other things... Uh, as a priority in your life other than your spirituality and your faith. And so that's a very, that's a huge obstacle that we face and are confronted by as parents. The other obstacle, a big one, is your child's heart. (laughs) You know, you have, whether you have one child or more than one child, you have little sinners in your home. Did you know that? They're, 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 They're little sinners. Um... By the way, they're just like their parents, but, but they're, they're little, they are, their little heart is just as quick to latch on to idols as anyone else. And so God designed them to worship him, but their little hearts are broken. Now, that's what the Bible shows us, that our hearts are broken. They don't work the way they were designed. I got up more early this morning at 5 to go to Starbucks to start my day, and my car didn't start. The battery was dead. And I was thinking, as I was trying to get it started, I was like, man, this is just like our hearts. They don't work the way they were designed to work because they latch on to anything it can, they can latch on to other than God. And that's the reality for our kids. And we need to hear that because we are not in the business of behavioral change. Uh, We aren't training dogs when we talk about helping our kids to know and love God. Ultimately, it's the Spirit's work. And I want you to hear that. We cannot force our kids. We cannot manipulate our kids into this. It's got to be a work of the Spirit. And we need to rest in that and, and have confidence in that, that it's a work of the Spirit in our kids' hearts, not just their behavior. And I hope you you find some relief in that. Um, But it's important for you to talk to your kids about their idols. You you need to talk to them on a heart level because you're really, that's what you're trying to address. You're trying to cultivate an environment for them to, to grow and know Jesus and to love Him. Now, that's helpful for me to think about that because... I know my kids, one of their temptations, one of the idols that they face and they're confronted uh, with is the temptation to make me like God. How many of you, when you think about the relationship you had with your dad or your mom, they were on a pedestal, weren't they? they they're godlike. They're the most important person in your life. And you can tend to view them in a way where they replace God. And so I have to be aware of that when I think about the relationship with my kids, that I want my kids to love Jesus more than they love me. And if that's a, if that's a goal for me, that's going to impact how I parent them and the kinds of conversations I have with them. I need to instill in them a desire to follow and obey Jesus before they follow and obey me. For them to have an ultimate loyalty to Him before their ultimate loyalty to me. Now, hopefully those things aren't in opposition. 
But I think you get the spirit of what I'm saying. Their temptation will be to make me an idol in their life, and I need to confront that and be intentional in how I raise my kids. Now, in the same way, not only is our kid's heart an obstacle, I think the greatest obstacle we face as parents is our own hearts. As I said, they're little sinners, and they're little sinners because they're big, two big sinners or one big sinner in the home. That's where they got their sinful hearts, from me and from Olivia. And so our own heart can be the biggest obstacle, ultimately, and that your heart can latch on to your kids and you can begin to worship them before God. That you will be tempted to place your kids on a pedestal and to do everything you can. Like your whole life can be shaped by your kids' needs and your kids' desires and, and, and it begins to shape everything that you do. And you look at your calendar and everything is run by your children. And so the best thing that you can give to your kids is for you to love Jesus more than you love them. See, it goes both ways. The best thing you can give your kids is to have a thriving, loving relationship with Jesus. And sometimes that means your kids are going to take a back seat. And that's good for them. And so I really want to challenge you to think about your routine as a family and think about your time and how you spend it. Is it driven primarily by your kids? And are your kids driving everything that you do? Think about your Sundays. I mean, that's just one example. How important is it for you to be here? How important is it for your kids to be plugged into the ministries that are here? How important is it for them to see you make it a priority to be a part of a church family? to be engaged. They need to see that and that will go a long way in fostering and cultivating a love for Jesus in your kids when you see you put Jesus ahead of them. And, and this is where I'll say that you all who without kids play an important role as a church family because my kids need to see other adults who love Jesus. And are living their lives for Him. My kids need to interact with other adults who are putting God first and are living out the gospel. They need to see that modeled in all of you. And that will go a long way in fostering and cultivating their own spiritual well-being. And so let me just encourage those of you without kids, please consider volunteering in the kids' ministry. Grandparents in the room, can I say that would be an incredible opportunity for you to make an impact in the lives of the kids of this church, for you to volunteer in the kids' ministry? And it's true for parents as well. For you, to, We need volunteers to spend time with our kids on Sunday morning. You know, <clears throat> my kids are involved with soccer, and one of the big th pushes for volunteers is for refs. Uh, AYSO, for example, is a volunteer-led uh, organization, and they talk about having to cancel games if they don't have volunteer refs. We can't do church if we don't have volunteers in the kids' ministry. I mean, I, I don't know how else to say it. We need you to invest in our kids. 
Now, one of the things we're seeking to do to make that easy is for us to move to a second service. And we hope to do that maybe towards the end of the year, maybe in the new year. We don't know when yet, but we want to do that in order to make it easier for volunteers to, to get fed in worship and also give their time in the, in the ministry in investing in our kids. So consider that. Look into that. See if God's leading you in that. Let me quickly end here with the last point, and that's the hope for parents. Because the reality is you're going to fail at this. You're, you're going to fail at this, and, and I don't want you to put so much pressure on you, on yourself, and, and be tempted to think that you've got to perfect this and, and that you're going to mess up your kids. You know, what I love about this passage in Deuteronomy 6 is towards the end when the son comes to the father and asks him, what's the meaning of these, these laws and these commandments? What's the point of them? You can almost see a kid saying, why do we have to go to church? You know, why do we have to do these things? Why do we have to read the Bible? Why do we have to do any of these things? And notice what's the answer the father gives to his son. He says to him, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. The gospel. The gospel was the father's answer. And that is a powerful point to end on when we think about that it is not ultimately up to us that you will fail, and that Jesus is still Lord, and he, had, he knows your kids, and He is a good shepherd who will care for them, and that you can place them in His hands. I can place Carter and Teddy and Lucy Carroll. And I don't have to beat up myself when I'm a terrible model. And I forget to talk to my kids about Jesus. And I can trust Him with my children. And that one of the key ways that I can model spiritual faith to my children is to display and share and reveal my vulnerabilities and my weaknesses. For me to be able to go to my kids and say, I am sorry, Daddy should not have yelled at you in that situation. Will you forgive me? I know Jesus forgives me. But Carter, would you forgive me? I should not have done that. Or for me to go to my kids when I am struggling with a decision in regards to our family and to go to them and say, you know, Teddy, I really, I, I have to make, Mommy and I have to make this decision and I really don't know what to do. Would you pray for Daddy? Because I need God. I need His guidance. And for me to go to Lucy Carroll and sing Amazing Grace or to sing Jesus Loves Me and to say, you know what, Lucy Carroll, Daddy really needs to hear this song because Daddy messes up. And Daddy needs to be reminded how much Jesus loves him. You see, the gospel is ultimately what we give our children. But if you're unwilling, if you're unwilling to come to grips with the impact the gospel has made on your life, then what will be attractive about your faith? What will be attractive to your kids is when you're actively applying it to yourself and sharing and inviting them into that participation. 
And so that's what I invite you, all of you, whether you have kids or not, would you join us in that as we seek to love and care for our children on, on the behalf of God?